Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the seminary interns around First Presbyterian. I go to Palm Beach Atlantic. Um, and so it is a joy for me to be here with you this morning uh, as we open up the Lord's Word together. Uh, welcome to church this morning. As you heard Alex welcome you earlier, I just want to echo that. We're so glad that you're here joining us. Uh, so today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be reading from verses 19 through 25. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, please go ahead and turn there. Uh, if not, you can follow along with me as I read. So reading now from Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with true hearts in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and let, our, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me now, if you will. Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning, wherever we are coming from whatever we're coming with. We invite you into this space as we study your holy word. Would you make me faithful to your will and make us receptive to your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, over the summer months, we've been in a sermon series called One Another. Um, The phrase one another shows up in the New Testament some 59 times. Clearly, it's an important theme. Uh, So as a church community, over the past few weeks, we've looked at some of the one another passages from the Bible. We won't hit all of them, but we've looked at the ones such as forgive one another, submit to one another, serve one another, bear with one another. This morning, we'll look at what it means to provoke one another. What all these one another passages in the Bible do for us is give us a picture, give us direction and insight to what the Christian life is meant to look like together. But more than anything, what we see when we open up these passages of the Bible is that you can't one another on your own. It takes other people. So as I was um, preparing for this sermon this week, I uh, came across a study of American prisoners of war. Um, one of the things the study was trying to figure out, they were, they were researching, what was it that the enemy did? What were the tactics of the enemy that had the best effectiveness when it came to breaking the spirits of the American prisoners of war. And shockingly, it wasn't the physical deprivation, it wasn't even torture, which is what probably many of us think of when we we have the image of prisoners of war come to mind, but instead, it was when soldiers were removed from their small attachments. Solitary confinement was far more effective at breaking the spirits, breaking the will of soldiers who were prisoners of war. And now you might be thinking, uh, what do prisoners of war have to do with us today? Obviously, I've never been a prisoner of war. Perhaps most of you haven't either. 
But the study's relevant because the idea of Christian life is the same. We were not meant to do it alone. We need one another to one another. And so if you've been here for any of the other passages we've studied so far this summer, the one another passages I've been talking about, you know that most of them have just been one verse, maybe two verses. Um, so I think it may be a little bit of hazing against the seminary intern to assign a six verse one. It's a little bit longer. It's not the end of the world, and, and I certainly don't want to, uh, you know, throw any shade at Jared while he's out of town, but, you know, just my, my suspicion. Um, but regardless, uh, what I wanted to do when I got this passage was just preach verse 24, just preach the one another passage, provoke one another. And as I got into the text, I realized there's just no way that I could do that faithfully, uh, that, that provoking one another is directly tied to the other things here in our passage. And at the beginning of our passage, we see that the, the author recaps some gospel truths for us. And so it's important for us to understand that provoking one another only happens because of and in light of the gospel truths that have been made true in our lives as well. So today, for our purposes, uh, what we're going to do is first dive into a brief recap of these gospel truths that the author gives us at the beginning of the passage, and then we're going to look more closely at what it means to provoke one another. But don't lose sight of the fact that provoking one another only happens in light of these gospel truths. So now as we turn to uh, the scripture from Hebrews 10, we see right off the bat in verse 19, uh, it starts with this word, therefore. Now I'll give you something for free that uh, Alex and I pay a lot of money for in seminary. Um, Anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, you have to see what the word therefore is there for. I know it's cheesy, uh, but it's true because you don't walk around just saying therefore and then saying whatever sentence you want. You'd sound like a lunatic. It's tied to something that came before it. And so what we see is that the first three verses of our passage, 19, 20, and 21, are actually just something like summary verses that the author is using to describe, recap for us, uh, all of the things that he's been saying for the previous 10 chapters. It's kind of like the Cliff Notes version here at the beginning of our passage. And so in verse 19, we start with this claim that now we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. But see, if that's the way that things are now, if now we have confidence, it means, it implies, that at one point we did not. This is not the way that things have always been. In order for there to be a now, there has to be a time where there was not. And that's true. If you know anything about the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, you know that access to God was not something, for the majority of history in the Old Testament, uh, that was not something that just was, was a part of the deal. Um, access to God was, was not clear. Even if you just look at the way the Jewish temple was constructed, uh, you see that only priests were allowed to enter into the holy places of God. Not only that, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, and the chief priest was the only one that was allowed into that space. And even he could only go in there one time a year. He would go in, he would atone for his sins, and then he would atone for the sins of everyone else. But the picture that we're meant to see is that access to God was not something that was clear. It was only partial through some mediator. That separation between man and God was relevant and prevalent in our lives because of the sinful state of humanity. But then something changed. No longer is there separation but access. How? By the blood of Jesus. 
Verse 20 calls it the new and living way he opened for us through the cross. And now we have confidence to enter into God's presence unlike anything seen before since the garden. The German reformer, um, I, I gotta stop, this name is ridiculous, you guys. You'll, you'll see it in a second when I try to pronounce it. I've worked hard on it, so bear with me. The German reformer, Johannes Ocalampadius, nailed it, uh, put it this way, to enter into the holy places is to have free access to heaven and even to God himself. But whence comes this? From our works? Not at all. But through the blood of Jesus, our Savior. I love that. Because Christ has become for us the perfect mediator, the once and for all sacrifice. It's what the blood of goats and bulls could never do. And so, after the author explains these gospel truths that we just went over, he then gives three times... That he says the phrase, let us. I don't know if you caught it, but he says, let us, three times. It's a classic pastor move. He gives three applications after giving a gospel presentation. Love it. And what he says is in verse 22, let us draw near. Now you have access to God. In verse 23, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of your faith. In other words, don't waver. And then, where we'll spend the, most, the rest of our time today is, is verse 24. He says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. What does it mean to provoke someone? Because honestly, if you're anything like me, the word um, provoke doesn't exactly bring up sunshine and butterflies. It's kind of, it's a, it's not a gentle word. It's kind of, sometimes it might even feel like an aggressive word. And it's true, sometimes even in the Bible, uh, the word provoke here uh, that shows up, it's, it's a Greek word called perioxismos. It's actually used to describe negative things. Paul, who, who's the author of most of our New Testament letters, um, there was a time where he and his partner in ministry, Barnabas, were in a full-on disagreement. Uh, and this word is the same word. It's here, here used, and we translate it in that instance, contention. So there it's used in a negative sense, but here uh, it's certainly used in a positive one. Uh, it's, it's something like firing one another up. Provoking one another is kind of like stirring each other to action. One Bible translation uh, even, even uses the phrase, spur one another on. It's the idea of a, of a spur in the side of a horse, the thing that gets them going. For me, I, I can't help uh, but think about like a locker room halftime speech where the coach comes in, he fires his team up, it's losing, they go out, they win the game. Imagine living in a community of people that were constantly giving each other halftime speeches. As Pastor Suds calls them, if you spend any time around Suds, you've probably heard him use the phrase out of boys and out of girls. That's the idea of this provocation. And so we'll look at what it means to provoke one another in light of three questions. First, we'll look at how are we to provoke one another. Second, we'll look at to what are we supposed to provoke one another to. And then finally, we'll look at with whom are we to do this provoking. So first, how what does this verse, uh, verse 24, tell us the starting place of biblical provocation is? It's easy to miss if you just glance along, you, you focus on the provoke one another piece, and that's important, but even before it says provoke one another, it says let us consider how to provoke one another. In other words, do you think about the people that you're provoking? Who are they? Where are they at? What do they need? What it means is you've actually got to get to know somebody. It's a relationship. And relationships, as you know, can sometimes be messy. 
Considering one another involves a certain amount of getting your hands dirty. Have you ever had someone try to provoke you um, that maybe doesn't even know you all the way? Uh, they, they haven't earned the right to provoke you because they, they probably don't know everything about you. They maybe don't even know the way that you would need to be provoked. It's an uncomfortable feeling. Um, my fiance Lily's here, um, and for those of you in our church community that know Lily, you probably know her as a gentle and, and sweet, maybe even like reserve uh, person. Um, but what you don't know is that when we met in college, uh, she was a collegiate volleyball player. Um, and so when we started dating our sophomore year at Palm Beach Atlantic, um, she invited me to come to one of her games. And so, of course, I said yes. Uh, and I went, and when I walked in, I'll never forget what I saw. Far from the perfect little, you know, sweet person that I knew Lily to be, she was firing up her teammates in a way that was terrifying. <laughs> she was like screaming and high-fiving and chest bumps. I couldn't believe it was the same person. And as I walked to my seat in the stands, hoping that she wouldn't even see me, um, I remember thinking, if she ever tries to provoke me that way, I'm going to crumble. Because I'm, I'm too fragile for that. Like, I can't be a part of that. And, and the picture that this gives us is that considering one another, provoking one another, involves a certain amount of selflessness. Because thankfully, Lily doesn't provoke me that way. Um, if she were to try to provoke me like she does her teammates, really, um, she wouldn't be provoking me the way that I need to be provoked. And that's the risk we run when we fail to consider one another. When we fail to put somebody else first as you think about provoking them. And so what is a practical way to consider somebody? Um, here's one. Just pray for them. Jesus himself prayed uh, for, for people. He considered people before God. In fact, as Jesus was just hours away from going to a Roman cross, uh, he prayed in the garden uh, for the people who would betray him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He considered other people. He stood in the gap for other people. He priested for other people. And so I'm convinced prayer is the best way to consider somebody well. This is actually how we too can priest for one another. And so second, to what are we provoking one another towards? And, and I think that this one is hidden in plain sight. The verse says, the passage says in verse 24, Provoke one another to love and good deeds. You see, sometimes if we aren't careful, we could run the risk of actually provoking somebody to something that isn't love, that isn't good deeds. And when we do that, it's, it's the opposite of biblical provocation. It's something more like incitement. When we fail to consider somebody, we, we could actually instead cause them, provoke them to anger, to shame, discouragement, hurt. Because true provoking doesn't happen by finger wagging. It doesn't happen by lecturing. But it's the encouragement meant to stir somebody up. So you'll never make someone love more by lecturing them harder. You'll only make someone love more by showing them the Christ-shaped love, the gospel truth that has marked your life. So there's an article called uh, Love with Its Work Clothes On. And in it, the author Martin Copenhaver says this, If God's gift of love is promised to all, so all are called to reflect that gift of love. 
Indeed, the life of a community depends upon love for its very existence. What this means is that if you want to rouse somebody up to love, you've got to show them love. And this is tied to the idea of good deeds that shows up here uh, in verse 24. It's serving one another. Love turns to service. Annabelle, if you were here last week, Annabelle, one of the other seminary interns, preached on this. She preached serve one another. And and love and service are, are directly tied. You can't have true service without love. You can't have true love without service. So if you want to provoke somebody uh, to service, if you want to provoke somebody to wash the feet of others, you've got to first wash their feet. Because we love because Christ first loved us. The community depends on it. Which leads to our final point this morning. Uh, With whom are we to do this provoking? Look at verse 25, right? After verse 24 tells us, let us consider one another Uh, or consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25 says this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, clearly some in this community, in the audience that the author of Hebrews was writing to, clearly some of them thought that being in fellowship together um, was optional. That Christian community was something that, despite being followers of Jesus, was, was a choice. But the important part of all of this is that uh, being in fellowship together as Christ's church uh, is the only way that we can ever truly provoke one another. Remember, you can't truly provoke anyone in a biblical sense without the gospel truth being relevant in your life. It only happens in life in light of the gospel truth that is written across your life. So don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. So another thing I learned while I was um, preparing for this sermon is that plants can't grow in a vacuum. Um, So when we went to space, uh, and I I don't mean me, I never went to space. We, like as humanity, when we went to space, uh, one of the things that we were eager to figure out that we wanted to learn about was if we take life up to space with us, would it grow in the vacuum of space? And like many of you, I already knew this, that the plants don't grow in the vacuum of space. When you pull them away from their environment, the nutrients of life that they need to thrive, they die. Not only that, but plants, actually, when you, most plants, when when they're planted next to one another, uh, they actually grow better. And so it's true for us as Christians, too. We don't grow in a vacuum. You weren't meant to do it alone. Christian community is all about one anothering together. Now, do you need a church and a Christian community uh, to be saved, to have a relationship with Jesus? Absolutely not. No, the relationship with Jesus is is a personal thing between you and him. Uh, You don't need a church for salvation, but do you need a church, do you need Christian community to grow in spiritual maturity to which you're biblically called? Yes. Yes, because relationships in the spirit-filled body of Christ are the mechanics that he, Christ, chose to conform us more into his image. We weren't meant to do it alone. So a few brief points as we close today of application. Uh, First, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're here this morning, welcome. We're so glad you're here. 
Uh, I would say this, lean into community. Lean into this community. We are, we are glad that you're here. We would love to invite you to come and see what this is all about. Because Jesus himself invites followers to come and see. But know this, that, that true one-anothering, the way that we've talked about so far this morning, isn't possible without a relationship with Jesus. So we're glad you're here. Keep coming around. And for those of you who are Christians, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I would say this, don't shy away. Keep pushing in. Provoke one another. Look for ways to, to provoke one another. Who are you considering? When you're around other believers in this community, are you considering them well? Are you praying for them? How can you consider them? How can you provoke them? What are ways that they need halftime speeches out of boys and out of girls? Second, to what are you provoking others towards? What this means is check your heart, check your motives. If you're anything like me, very easily you could end up provoking somebody just to, to fulfill your desire, something that you want to get out of them instead of to love and good deeds. So what are you provoking others to? And finally, who are you doing it with? the Christian life wasn't meant to happen in a vacuum. You can't grow in isolation. Maybe you've been sitting in a church, maybe this church, for a long time, and you feel stagnant and tired at the idea of community, of being around others. It's part of it. I know that feeling too. And I would say this, keep pushing in. Join a community group, even when it doesn't feel comfortable Find people that will give you halftime speeches. That's what we are to be about. And so my prayer as we go out of this place and into the world uh, here would be that we would be so provoked to love and good deeds that people in our community can't deny that there's something different about us. That our lives would point back to the gospel truth of what Jesus has done for you and for me. Pray with me now, if you will. Lord, we are grateful for the access that we now have to you, the confidence to enter into your presence. We remember that you too were provoked to love when you went willingly to the cross to be our once and for all sacrifice. I ask you now uh, that you would provoke us to be people who encourage, people who stir up, and people who love. We ask this in your son Jesus' holy name, amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.